You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey, Scott, I have a pitch for you. Oh, hit me. I want Baz Luhrmann to make a spectacular, colorful, frenetic, over-the-top, bombastic adaptation of Homework. Uh, I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the show where we watch middling movies like Eyes on a Billboard, watch over the rise and fall of the American dream in thrilling 3D. Uh, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. <laughs> I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm uh, Greg Beaver, and I'm feeling pretty good today. I don't know about you guys, but it feels like I- I've just woken up from a four-year nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are... We are recording on Inauguration Day in the United States, uh, just so that you get the full context of what's going on here. Wednesday would be the would be the day. Yeah, and that's uh, generally optimism in the air. I had a I had a uh, meeting with my sketch group earlier, and it was also very like everyone seemed in in good spirits. Because yeah. <laughs> um, two weeks two weeks to the day ago was like the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we don't even live in that country. Uh, yeah yeah it feels like maybe brighter days are ahead they probably aren't but like for now yeah. feels pretty good at least one one night s- sleep <laughs> yeah i think we're a lot i think we're allowed to have some hope for at least one yeah. night <laughs> uh, that seems like a reasonable request yeah. also but, this comes uh, out on monday there's still six days for this all to be a moot <laughs> conversation yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> everything could have fallen but fallen apart yeah. by monday yeah, yeah. Very true. Shout out to our new sponsor, Bottled Water. The last of it is available. Get your hands on the few drops now. Uh, no. <laughs> hey, what, what movie are we talking about today, gang? Uh, the Great Gatsby. <laughs> Grabsby. Yeah, that's what it is. The Great, the Great Gatsby. Gatsby. Uh, specifically, the 2013 adaptation of The Great Gatsby. The Great, indeed. Directed, of course, by Baz Luhrmann, starring none other than Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, as the titular Gatsby, uh, Tobey Maguire, uh, Carrie Mulligan, and Joel Edgerton. Uh, yeah, 2013, and uh, Craig Pierce had a hand in writing that. Uh, so did some guy named F. Scott Fitzgerald. Did uh, Did anyone else feel like? Because I I had I I, I I was relatively familiar with this movie, but like not totally familiar with the cast. And and when it dawned on me that I was going to be watching. Uh, Toby Maguire for two and a half hours. I was kind of crestfallen. <laughs> Did anyone else have that <laughs> experience? <laughs> no, not really. Yeah, he's he's likable. I like his weird little lips, and he's just like he looks. <laughs> I I don't I don't love him as an actor. Um, if if you've seen Molly's Game, like he's like like apparently that the book was written uh, about uh, like the there's a you know an asshole poker player who who doesn't seem to care what uh 
what happens to people and uh, apparently the, the real life person was Tobey Maguire and like mm. knowing that like now when I see him on screen it just it just calls back these memories of just uh, watching that movie and thinking like boy that guy's a real dick yeah oh that so, uh, has not influenced my opinion of Tobey Maguire as an actor at all yeah. so so I can put you down Greg then for uh, cider house drools <laughs> Uh, anyway uh did you all read this book in high school (laughs) yeah that was i was gonna ask did you guys read the book in high school uh i did it was uh it was on our prescribed reading lists for i don't even think it was high school i think it might have been junior high when i read the great gatsby yeah i think it was probably junior high for me as well i don't remember much from it i like and I, I, I gotta be honest, I probably didn't read it because I didn't read most books that they assigned me in high school. <laughs> uh, I, but you know, I knew I, I, we, I knew enough about it. Like I knew some of the broad strokes of the of the plot. Yeah, I, I was never assigned it because um, I did read most of the novels assigned. I also, though, weirdly, I remember distinctly not reading like a short story or an essay that was in a bigger book, but that was by F. Scott Fitzgerald and like started reading it and was like, sit in the 1920, I'm not reading this. I just didn't read it. I don't know what it was, but if someone can tell me what was on the mid two thousands, uh, grade nine language art syllabus in Alberta, I didn't read that F. Scott Fitzgerald short story. And then I was also never assigned the Greg Gatsby. So just didn't get your, uh, your injection of F. Scott. Yeah. I'm back in the day. <laughs> Looking at, looking back on it, like what a waste of time in high school, like to read, the, read the Great Gatsby when there was probably a lot of uh, more interesting. Like I get like the social commentary angle of it, but like yeah, there was mm-hmm. probably other uh, other books that we could have been um, reading up, maybe a little a little bit more uh, learning on Indigenous people. That would have been good, probably. The, yeah. Though the fact that this is set almost a hundred years to the day, do you think it has any any relevance uh, as something uh, students or adults uh, of twenty twenty? Uh, just the story in general, the book or the movie or the old movie. I don't know. Like it seems to have more parallels with the nineteen eighties. It's like the nineteen eighties was like kind of famously a decade about excess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like now feels like a. a you know, like we've now feels like a time where there's sort of like a revelation of like, oh, excess is bad, and like not much is changed. Like nothing's changed. And like nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, we're we're not in prohibition, so we don't have bootleggers running around. Yeah, but we do have all the rich people made it through like quasi like giving people things they want that probably for the greater good shouldn't have been given, like quasi criminals. Yeah. Opi- opiate dealers enough. you know we need all need those facebook hits maybe i'm stretching i don't know but yeah i think like you know we uh, this may be getting a little bit further into it than um we normally do but like the the uh, i wonder about um how baz lerman attacked this movie and um whether it really reflects honestly um what f scott Fitzgerald was trying to get across in his original novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for a movie that really kind of went all out trying to be a very faithful adaptation of the book, an almost too faithful adaptation of the book, um, there are parts where it feels like maybe in all the glitz of the movie, Baz Luhrmann kind of lost the plot a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah like I, uh, we'll throw to the trailer here in, in in a second. Talk about it further, but yeah, like there's certainly there's certainly a hero aspect to Jay Gatsby that I don't necessarily think is supposed to be there. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a like Don Draper, you know, Rick from Rick and Morty thing that was maybe supposed to be taken away from. I like, will. Again, at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, simply because we're on the topic of it, mm-hmm. uh, obviously I watched the movie with Anita, and she, afterwards, like the next day after she'd sat on it, she was like, was I supposed to like Gatsby? <laughs> because I didn't. Uh, like, the movie did not make the case for why he's a likable guy or why Nick is so in love with him. And I was like, you're kind of right, actually. Yeah, the, the sp- specifically the the scene uh, at the end, I think of like the what really jarred me, where he goes from like blubbering in the bushes, like Tyler Shandro, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Nick being like, "What's wrong with you? You just ran over a woman, like manslaughter." And within that same scene, we're at the at least fifteen minutes of it. Nick is like, "You're better than a thousand other people I've met." Like the the quote where he's like, "You're better than the whole lot of them. You're the most hopeful guy I've seen," or whatever that quote is. And it's like five minutes ago he was. <laughs> like covering up a murder covering up a murder yeah. like it really yeah so let's uh let's hear hear from the trailer though uh, uh the f scott fitzgerald classic gatsby he had a grand vision for his life since he was a boy i'm gonna fix things just the way they were before just you and me no amount of fire could challenge the fairy tale he had stored up in his heart Will you still love me when I'm no longer young and beautiful? Is all this made entirely from your own imagination? When I got nothing. But I had the uneasy feeling that he was guarding secrets. I know you will. I wish I'd done everything on earth with you. Something ought to be done about a fella like that. My life, my life has got to be like this. It's got to keep going on. Jay Gatsby is a new money millionaire with a hole in his heart the size of one 1920 socialite. Daisy Buchanan is an old money socialite who has a hole in her heart the size of one new money millionaire. Both of them are looking to rekindle their romance, but there's just one problem. Daisy is married. Whoops. Gatsby has a plan, though. He moves directly across the bay, holding elaborate parties each and every night, hoping Daisy will show up. She doesn't. Enter Nick Carraway, Gatsby's impressionable young neighbor, who also happens to be Daisy's cousin. What luck! All Gatsby has to do now is get Nick to surreptitiously invite Daisy over for tea and bingo bango, rekindled love affair. Now there's just the matter of the jealous husband, but I'm sure it will work out fine in the end, and no one will die. That was a great reading of that, Scott. I love that. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was exactly how that was supposed to be, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Have, have we done a lot of, like, book adaptations, especially, like, classic book adaptations uh, on here on I Have Some Notes? 
I mean, we've done plenty of book adaptations. I don't know if we've done a lot of classic book adaptations, though. Yeah, because it's like there's sort of two things to discuss is like, you know, obviously the the story in general, which is like sort of moot at this point. It's the Great Gatsby, like, yeah, <laughs> the jury's in on, on Great Gatsby. We're not making any <laughs> waves discussing it. Um, if you want a great uh, literary podcast, consider the read along. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but you digress. Yeah, I was anyway, thinking about re- um, there's, there's the, the, the movie we saw and the story. And I definitely think that, the you know where our notes can happen the most, I think is in the movie part, the Baz Luhrmann part of it. Not I so much the- 100% agree. And I, and I, I, I recall when we did our ask us anything podcast, um, I think someone asked asked us if there's anything, any movie that we would not do. And I, and I sort of mentioned my hesitation to take on classics um, just because I, I felt like um, there's, it would be too much, hubris in in doing so and this i think this movie just kind of skirts just on the outside of that like you Mm -hmm. know like like a yeah so trying to trying to first attack you know what uh what baz lerman was doing and and sort of leave the broad strokes of the story alone i think is probably the best angle for us yeah we're not breaking new ground on the great gatsby thoughts (laughs) yeah so One of the things that jumped out at me right away when I was watching this movie is the movie has a lot of tell-don't-show. And I get that Baz Luhrmann was trying to keep things, uh, again, very true to the book. And the book is epistolary. It's it's written from Nick Carraway's perspective in, in like, his, his journaling. And they wanted to kind of keep that as a framing device, but they rely on it way too much. And they have him narrate everything instead of just showing us the things yeah and and it it also robs a lot of the actors of the ability to act to to show <laughs> us but to, to show us the internal lives of these characters without nick just telling us the internal lives of these characters and i think that that's that's a risky thing to do in a film and i don't know that it works here because we spend so much time listening to toby mcguire tell us what's going on yeah and at the same time during the first act, um, everything is very kinetic. The camera is moving everywhere. It's zooming in and out. Um, we're warping from one side of the bay to the other and zooming across it. And there's a lot of really short cuts. Um, I think specifically um, when Nick Carraway um, first shows up and talks to Daisy, they move into the dining room and that dining room scenes really bothered me just because there's, there's sort of like this weird, like we're talking at the dinner table montage. And it's like, it like the, again, the camera's moving really quick and you're not because there's so much happening visually, you're not really picking up on anything the actors are saying. And it's happening at a time when we should be learning who all these characters are who because they're all the principal characters there except for Gatsby it's you know Tom's there uh Nick is there Daisy's there um Elizabeth Dubecky's there whose character <laughs> I forgot who her name was like the you yeah, know the golfer it, yeah that dining that dining room scene is a perfect opportunity to sort of get the lay of the land of like who these characters are what their relationship to the time period they live in is because that's a key part of this whole thing um and instead it just goes through this frenetic cut 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 um and the only thing that we really learn through most of that is that 
Tom's a racist and he has a a mistress. Yeah, which I mean, one of those is an important plot point. Yeah, and like, but like the context around everything else is sort of feels like it's missing. Yeah, I would I would agree, and I I think it's funny that uh, Scott sort of described this show don't or uh, tell don't show. Because um, it almost seems like they needed to save a lot of room for showing other things, mostly fancy graphic effects and yeah, you know, aesthetic. Uh, uh, yeah, <clears throat> which, oh, this, uh, which this did movie... not look good, by the way. I didn't think any of those like the like most of the outdoor scenes look really bad. I love the aesthetics of this movie. I like the kind of choices Baz Luhrmann makes, and I think one of the things that was most frustrating for me about this movie in that regard was like the places where the effects looked really cheesy and too much and, and corny were the ones that were done less to like Baz Luhrmann's taste and more to just make 3d happen. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, this movie came out in peak 3d and it just like, it, it really, it really <laughs> suffers from it. Doesn't it? So it really is bought it like both the great Gatsby and like the, the story of the great Gatsby and uh, Baz Luhrmann's aesthetic are not improved by 3D. Like, neither of them, at no point did I look at it, would consider either of those two artistic pursuits. Be like, you know what this needs? It needs to look like it's coming out at me and my popcorn. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it, like yeah. filmmaking is all about choices. And like, and like when you're picking, you know, what the, the format of your uh, of your film, like that's your the key first important choice. And like the question you'd be asking yourself is, how is the story of the Great Gatsby served by 3D? And I think you would have a hard time answering that question to any great effect. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur Miller's death of a salesman in three. <laughs> oh boy. Like, <laughs> like. Uh, Anita actually, uh, when we were discussing it, uh, brought up the idea that maybe it had to do with like the that it was that it was a stylistic choice that it was meant to seem just a little off and a little dreamlike because it mm-hmm. it's emblematic of of Nick's kind of being swept up in this almost fantastical world and i was like that's an interesting way to to look at it but i i think that it was just clumsy cgi <laughs> yeah cuz i think like had had baslerman made this without 3d it would have looked spectacular and wonderful and whimsical like all of his stuff does Probably, yeah. But without this, like, extra plastic, like, weird plastic veneer so that, you know, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. Because obviously none of us us watched it in 3D now because we're all at home in 2021 and that, you know. Yeah. Watching watching it on Netflix. Yeah. So, like, it really, it really, like, taints the shelf life of a movie like that. Like. Yeah. I I mean, watching it without the context that, like, it was, it was a big 3D movie. Um, and, and like I, I didn't really realize the 3D element of it until after I had watched it. So it feels quite jarring, um, especially that first act. And and I really like literally in my notes, I I wrote, please make the camera sit still because I was just getting so tired of it, uh, whizzing around the characters and and uh, and being so uh, positively frenetic. With like, like like I understand. Like as An- Anita had uh, alluded to, like it, I understand the reason for it being there in the sense that, like, yes, the the opening of this movie, everyone's being uh, is caught up in the excess of the 1920s and um, and the the fun of it and um, the the sort of joy of it, and that warrants a certain amount of energy to 
um, how the everything is shot. Um, it's just it's just way too over the top for me, and I and mm-hmm. I found it entirely distracting and, and irritating. It's also uh, adds to the length of the movie. <laughs> this is this is not a short film, and uh, part of the reason for that is that Lerman really languishes in a lot of moments where he probably didn't need to, and you could have trimmed as much as 30 minutes out of this movie if you just, like, kept your eye on the story a little more and a little less on the on the CGI scenery around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The tragedy is, is that um, the stuff that's you know, shot on a set, um, it, it all looks great. Like it's not yeah, like the, the room with the like, flowers. Yeah. Like the, the, this, the, the actual cinematography is, is, um, is great. Um, you know, and, and like the, the set piece of the, of the, the coal wasteland with the, with the, the decrepit, uh, billboard with the glasses, like that whole, uh, scene looked fantastic. Um, you know, his, you know, uh, Gatsby's, um, mansion, um, looked incredible. The, the party scene looks, um, uh, you know, really <laughs> look like a, look like a good party. I wanted to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's just like the, the, yeah, it's just sort of tragic that like the, the CGI isn't doing it any favors. Uh, luckily, thankfully though, like most of that gets toned down quite a bit by the second act and the third act so you don't like there it calms down calms itself down quite a bit um and it doesn't you know it doesn't really um for me anyway it didn't really um affect my enjoyment of them of the last couple half of the movie i do think uh i like i i would keep uh <clears throat> the whole cast even even old toby um and i think everyone did a did a good job with like what's there like i i once it's weird how often that kind of comes up on the show where we're like the the acting's fine. It's the <laughs> script yeah. and direction and editing. But yeah, uh, you know, DiCaprio's good. He he does a nice uh, the turn from when he's like this mysterious uh celebutant going around and then just the moment he looks like a scared little boy trying to meet Daisy is like you like him a little there and then it just kind of yeah, loses loses the mark, but he does it well. I like his performance. Yeah, he's Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of at his best when he's um, uh, doing extreme emotions, like the um, at the end of the movie when he when he sort of snaps on on Daisy. I think that was kind of like his strongest bit mm-hmm. of acting. But everyone else is 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 pretty good. There's a lot of good actors here, and yeah, so I don't have any I don't have any particular complaints about it. I mean, aside from Tobey Maguire, who I just don't I don't buy anything that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> just don't. There's this sort of like um, I don't know performative boyishness to it that I just can't. Yeah, like I like I I, I just like, yeah I don't, I don't know. There's something. Oh, about you think it. it's performative? Yeah. I think yeah, I don't know. I think he he's earnestly that dorky. <laughs> I I I did not like his performance in the Spider-Man movies and it it always I think those always stuck with me. Um mm. and like it kind of felt like you know, he was um he was still in he was being Spider-Man, but he was still playing it as if he was in Pleasantville. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like yeah, so it's just yeah, I I I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. Scott? I mean, I agree. The uh the acting is 
I think pretty pretty consistently good across the board. Um, no real complaints about any of the actors. It took me a while to realize that uh, this is actually the second movie that uh, we've had Joel Edgerton uh, as a central uh, character in. What was on the, the podcast? The other one, uh, Bright. Oh, mm. <laughs> I, I mean, also we, we've done we've done Leo movies before, but that's not that's not hard. That's real Kevin Bacon numbers there. Uh, yeah, but uh, Joel Edgerton coming back for uh, for another appearance, and uh, much like I want to say in in Bright, uh, he's not the he's he's not the person who's a slouch in this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, he's a hell of an actor and, uh, I think he does, he does really good. He actually stood out for me as Tom, uh, which is saying something because Tom is quite odious as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that the movie is very pretty. Um, I think that Boz Lerman has, uh, has an interesting kind of vision. Uh, and I, I agreed with, uh, with Greg as well with, uh, the fact the cinematography is very good. It's just... It's too much, and maybe that's maybe that's almost appropriate for a movie about like the roaringest part of the twenties. Yeah, I can't say, but yeah, I I feel like it was almost it wasn't quite the visual noise that you get from like uh, a Michael Bay movie, mm-hmm. but it it there was still a lot to take in at any given moment, and that that was a little distracting from time to time. Like, I think, for example, right off the top of my head, when Gatsby and uh, Nick go for their first drive into the city for lunch, and they're zooming through the city, and the, the city is just so dense with stuff that you can't really take it in. Oh, see, I, lo- and- I loved it. I thought that, like, the, to me, it's like the whole thing that, just, I started to cut you off, I just like, the, the part that chat me is that like, it looks great, and it looks bad because it was also put through a 3D filter. Sorry. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I I felt it was too busy. And I get on the one hand that you want to kind of capture the the crazy busyness of New York City in the 20s. But on the other hand, we're watching a movie and there's an artifice in that. And part of the artifice in that is keeping my focus on the action. And when there's too much going on, when, when the visual field is too full, like we, we had this discussion before with Ready Player One as well. When there's so much to take in in such a little amount of time, you you lose what you're looking at. Yeah, it it it, it becomes a, a double problem when you when you know you're filming a movie that is ostensibly a pretty like slow place uh, slow paced film, right? That requires yeah. a lot of it's you know there it's a you know character study kind of thing, and like yeah, so like when you're constantly being distracted by these uh, whirling backgrounds and things like that, yeah, it becomes a bit of a, a, a it's detrimental to the yeah a, dr- a drive into yeah. town becomes one of the most action packed scenes in the movie, like yeah the yeah. and the 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 weird the weird thing about it is is that the shots that the movie wants to languish in are the shots that are empty that it's like here's a big empty room let's take a couple minutes to look at it and meantime they're doing all these fast edits in the party and while we're driving down the busy new york street so you don't get a chance to take in this huge 
and and deep vista that's going on with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it just whizzes by, and then the stuff that he actually wants to like take some time and let us look at are just these cavernous rooms in this mansion. And <laughs> it's it's like, why didn't you let me have a chance to take a look at new at the awesome like New York street that you put together? Why aren't you letting me take a bigger look at the the insane party scene that's going on out there? It it was just a really weird decision and. I don't know why he did it. Yeah, I don't know if there's. I mean, it's perhaps there's. I mean, he's he's already kind of a bombastic filmmaker anyway, so maybe it's just that's just his evolution into the digital era where you know um, the uh, the reins are are taken off and you know filmmakers can kind of fill the frame with whatever they want whenever they want and um, uh, and this is just kind of where it leads. Um, my my second theory is that this is just um, where blockbuster filmmaking has been at for the last ten to fifteen years, where mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of um, pressure to um, make films as um, visually stunning as as possible, and in I sometimes you know they just kind of go a little bit overboard in an effort to create the most visually appealing trailer uh, that they possibly can um, and then to hell with what that actually means for the movie itself yeah, fair enough well let's see if we can use our notes to help put old Baz on the right track uh, when we come back from the break with our wonderful sponsors Taproot has launched a project to find out what you want the candidates to be talking about as they compete for your votes in the 2021 municipal election. It's called The People's Agenda. Visit taprootedmonton.ca to indicate what your key issue is. Taproot's team will use these responses to create an agenda that reflects the top priorities of the people. This will shape their coverage leading up to the election in October of 2021. This project needs to hear from as many Edmontonians as possible, so add your voice today at taprootedmonton.ca. I know what my top priority is. Not voting for Mike Nichol. Mike Nichol, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Greg, Scott, let's spend five years on the other side of the bay fixing up this movie so it can be presentable to its long-lost love, our audience. Uh, <laughs> do what, it. what do you got? What do you got for notes for old old Jay Gatsby? Old spot. <laughs> I was uh, just um, maybe um, one small tweak to to start us off here, but I I feel like um, the character is Daisy is a, a bit problematic for me as it's performed um, uh, by uh, Carrie Mulligan. Daisy Buchanan is kind of famously like a controversial character in the book. Um, some some people kind of interpret her differently, whether um, you know, um, she's a horrible person or, or, um, just sort of like a misunderstood, uh, person. Um, and I, I feel for me personally, I, I think it reads better and it makes Gatsby a more tragic figure if, um, Daisy's, um, shittier tendencies are louder in the film. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, like she, 
uh, I don't think I think she's kind of an underexplored character in this movie as it's as it's shot to be honest and like I uh, like we get we get a lot of good stuff with you know about Gatsby's motivations towards her and why he's um so in love with her but it's not clear um the, the, Daisy's relationship to uh Gatsby is not as clear I don't feel um and um like if 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 we spend a little bit more time um with Daisy under like and and seeing maybe some of um the shittier aspects of her character like for example like I, I if I'm not mistaken in the book she has a she has a child right and it, like um, it, I guess you see the child at the end of this movie right when they're she's, leaving when they're packing up to leave she's also mentioned at the beginning they uh Nick and Daisy in that first dinner party have a conversation about her being born and Tom being somewhere yeah yeah so like playing up that sort of aspect of this um uh you know Daisy being a kind of an absent mother, I think would help to play into her eventual um, being non-committal about Gadsby and then all her ultimate sort of betrayal of the Gadsby at the end, you know? Do you um, think making making her less likable helps the problem uh, that uh, Scott's wife needed to point out is like, am I supposed to like Gadsby? Like, do you think that's how you make Gadsby more likable is to make... I don't know if I want to make him more more likable uh, so much as I wanted to. I want, I, like, I guess you got to sympathize him with him a little bit. But I, like, I. The whole point is that he's kind of a uh, he's a tragic character, right? Like he can't yeah. he can't let go of um, this idea that he's set out for himself, right? He can't let um, go also of an idealized version of Daisy, and she's just not correct. that person anymore. Yeah, and that kind of yeah, and like that, it, like her being her, her it being m- more uh, obvious to the audience that that she is not that person that he wants her to be or that he thinks she is. I think makes it even more tragic. Yeah, and and you could explore that a little bit through Nick too. You could have her have interactions with Nick behind Gatsby's back that paint her a lot more gray. And have Nick in a position where he's kind of like, eh, the, I'm worried that this might be stepping on the toes of the book more than the movie. But have that have have her painted more in the eyes of Nick away from Gatsby a little bit so that he sees through her and then we see through him because he's our surrogate. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think that's that's fair. I also would would just yeah like to see the portrayal of, of Gatsby be more like either tr- like more sympathetic and have it be earned or less sympathetic and it's tragic and you're not supposed to idolize them kind of a thing. But I think a lot of this movie just leans on the, like we all like Leonardo DiCaprio. Therefore Gatsby is going to have a certain likability. Um, mm. And then it's like, well, no, he's not, that's not that character, right? Like that's not. So I, I think the fix is just in some of the delivery, like, what I'm saying is more of a criticism than a note, just like, fix this broad thing. So my suggestion would be that scene where they're in the hotel and he's, or in the apartment, the hot apartment, and he's like insisting and demanding that she say she never loved Tom as opposed to just like doesn't love him anymore or now. <clears throat> he's like hounding over her. Like he's like, he's like right up in her personal space. Um, and I just was like, yeah, this is, t- it's, it's just like a weird, intense choice that either DiCaprio or, or the director made. 
Um, so like it, those are those kind of moments where he his behavior is too erratic to maintain any kind of like sympathy for him. Like he he gets creepy. Like it's just like. So, like, well, it would, then the opposite would be when Tobey Maguire's like, you're acting like a little boy. And he, like, almost, like, storms off and comes back. Like, that was endearing. Yeah, I think... Um, I think that the visual language of the film, to me, anyway, suggests... Often suggests that Gatsby's a hero. Yeah. It's the... It's the... the He's the better than the whole damn lot of them. The fireworks champagne... Gla- uh, shot as he's reaching out to um, Nick Carraway when he uh-huh. when he first introduces himself to him. It's From the, the ending shot when Gatsby is at the end of the pier, uh, peering out into uh, the bay, looking at the green light of uh, Dizzy Buchanan's house, and still you know reaching out for it as if it were attainable, kind of thing, and and. The, the language the, the visual language to me is suggesting that like he's still noble and um, idealistic for 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 doing that even in death like he's still he's still there reaching out and that that's something to be commended when uh, I, I don't necessarily get the sense that like um, that's how Gatsby is supposed to be interpreted yeah or, or, or meant to be interpreted and and like I could be, I could be wrong, but like no, I think you're right because the way the ending of the the apparently the way the book ends is like he he dies hours after she should have called, knowing he didn't get picked. Yeah. So, yeah, this movie kind of reframes it in a way that's not as earned. Let, yeah. yeah, it almost lets him die thinking that he won, and yeah. when when he didn't, and that's kind of and that trickles back through choice. the rest of the the the, the movie basically, like yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, the, the the last shot just definitely idolizes him for me and like that um that uh that makes me feel like uh Baz Luhrmann thinks that Gatsby's a hero and yeah, I just uh, like I don't like I would I, I think it, I think it would be a more of a hard-hitting movie and uh a far more interesting if it was much more tragic in that like Gatsby is 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 a guy who just couldn't couldn't get you know couldn't get past it he couldn't get past the fact that that daisy wasn't the person that he thought she was and he couldn't get beyond his own aspirations yeah he couldn't he couldn't recapture the past yeah which plays in like right into the times that um f scott fitzgerald was trying to criticize right like the the excesses and 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 people just like not giving a shit about the things that surround them i want to propose a potentially controversial change. Um, And it stems from the fact that this is an adaptation. It is an adaptation of, uh, of an older novel. You can do things that maybe the author of the original work never considered or would not have done. And Mm -hmm. I think that this would have been an interesting opportunity for Baz Luhrmann to do something a little different with the story. And I think what he should have done Especially because we start the movie by having Tom practically, practically like the fourth line that he delivers is racist. Mm-hmm. And, and it's meant to definitely paint him as odious. Like that's 
shorthand to the audience's brain that, oh, this is this is a guy with backward beliefs. We're not supposed to be really sympathizing with him. Um, but that doesn't really go anywhere. Like his racism doesn't extend really beyond that into the story. And I think a very interesting decision would have been to make Myrtle and George black. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I tend to... Uh, I, I, we kind of had some uh, off-air discussion about this, but like, I, I think, I think that would at least because the movie, um, at least to me, I I, I felt and and you guys kind of felt differently, but I felt like it was the movie was visually trying to um, speak to the, the 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 plight of black people in the era in some in small ways, but also by um, and also at the same time, kind of like com- like immediately completely ignoring it um so it was there was sort of like trying to trying to have it both ways like see we you know we we understand what their position was at the time and also you know you know see our characters they react poorly to tom when he when he's racist so you know there's a wink and a nod there that racism is bad but like it never goes anything anywhere yeah and i mean there's something to be said about the idea that the the plight of the black people is in the periphery but the characters are so wrapped up in their own super white world that they that they just kind of they notice it and then they kind of like put it out of mind the way the movie does and i think that it would be more interesting to make that a central point and i think think, yeah by would definitely i I think you you would get a lot more like it would be a unique and modern uh sort of insight to add to it uh, I I would just hope that the script could keep up with it, um, because based on the the few uh, toe dipping uh, moments uh, of social commentary that this movie engages in, I don't know that they could handle uh, handle that much of a change. So assuming <laughs> maybe, that the maybe writers, that's fair. maybe maybe Lerman and this script are not up to the task, but but yeah, like yeah. there is there is definitely like there is some social commentary in regards to George and Myrtle's characters and huge potential there, but it's, but it's, it's all about class. And I think it would be very interesting if you want to make Tom a racist, make him a racist and have him interact with some black people. And the interesting shade to that is his mistress is a black woman. And that's like, that just, that explodes his character in a very interesting way. The way he treats George changes. If George is a black man and the the fact that the the black people are destroyed by these rich ignorant white people who uh just tromp all over their lives and then get away scot free is such on point social commentary especially for the 1920s that it's it's shocking to me that it was not or i should say it would be shocking to me if it was not considered at least and mm-hmm. i'm i i feel like it would have been such an interesting change and such an easy change to make that it it saddens me a little bit that the movie didn't decide to do something new with this story that's been adapted to film already yeah i don't know how easy of a of a change it might have been just because um you know there there would have to be changes to george's character i feel like just because he's he's kind of a, a real bad dude he's a he's a in this mo- in the movies he's, he's a wife beater and um he's directly he's kind of directly responsible 
for um, Myrtle's death, or not directly, sort of indirectly, I guess. It, but like, you'd, yeah, so like you'd, have, to, you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to soften him a, a little bit just to, um, you know, sympathize with his uh, position uh, quite a bit more. But then, then I, 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 I feel like the the domino effect of like what that does to um, Gatsby's character after uh, attempting to um, cover up, um, you know, a black person's murder um, so that, you know, he and Daisy can run away. Like, would that ipso facto make him too much of a villain for us to be able to, like, sympathize with him a a little bit for having lost Daisy? Because I feel like, you know, he is a tragic character and we do need to to sympathize with him. So those are all, those are interesting questions that would would have to be answered in a change like that. Yeah, Yeah, I I feel like you could... I feel like you could also uh, develop out the plot a little more by spending a little more time with Myrtle and George as well, <clears throat> uh, yeah. who are who are very periphery to this uh, to this movie. Yeah, and there's not like at least as, as the movie has shot, like it doesn't like I know that like that George and Myrtle are supposed to be sort of the stand-in for the lower classes and stuff like that, but we spend so little time with them um, that I don't. I don't get the sense that the movie's trying to speak to the the lower classes and the in the position that they're in at all, which is uh, again yeah, a no, missed that, opportunity. That actually kind of yeah. goes into my into my note. The movie is not concerned with social commentary beyond what was already present in the text of um, the Great Gatsby, like real surface level text stuff. Because what the movie cares much more about is fabulous 3d (laughs) Um, and that my my note and it seems like an obvious one but it really like it it really more than so many other movies that also absolutely don't need 3d this one here like does not need to be in 3d and it affects the way you watch it in 2d a decade later it um was not i watched this in theaters in 3d and it was arduous um and and i especially because i like baz lerman's visual approach to things i like creative directors like that even if i'm like not gonna stand for moulin rouge anytime you know like like it's i i love movies that are very visually exciting and i feel like that the 3d took away from it more than added to it uh to the point where i'd be like you already have Baz Luhrmann making a kinetic, frenetic <laughs> thing. Is that not enough for you? Like, it, it, yeah, so I, I might even go in first say it's like, if you like movies in 3D, I kind of feel like you don't like movies. Like, you, like, you don't, you're, at no, like, if you want your seat to wiggle and things to pop out at you, it's like, well, maybe you're not there for the joy of cinema. Like, yeah, go to, a, go to an amusement park. Yeah, so, because it, and it, it has a ripple effect where now we've got a perfectly mediocre adaptation of a high school classic that's weirdly tainted in, like, plastic 3D cheese. Like, it's... So my, yeah, my my note is 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 no more three D. This is a case study of why. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm that's that's fair. Um, but we're we're talking about fabulous three D and all of the the modern little flourishes and touches that have been put into this movie. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna point over at the uh, the elephant that's in this room. If you're making an adaptation of The Great Gatsby, 
why not set it somewhere else? Why not set it in the present, for mm-hmm. example? Like mm-hmm. if you're if you're going to be adapting it, I I get that Baz Luhrmann wanted to make this like hyper uh, faithful adaptation of the book, but why? Why not go crazy with it? We've already got a very faithful adaptation in a in a previous film. Why not blow it up and do something different, like really different with it? Not just like changing some of the characters to black people, but like why not set it in the modern day? Why not set it in in space? Like why not tell the Great Gatsby's story in a in an in an in an entirely new way? Something that we haven't seen before and in a context that changes it uh to maybe reflect our current social uh climate or or the current issues that we're facing yeah yeah why not make it speak more to a modern audience rather instead of just having like a a really modern dubstep song in the middle of a 1920s roaring party (laughs) yeah and that's like i said this this movie takes the the social commentary present in that book and is like uses that as like well the point is like we've that that that, the boring meaningful social commentary part's already been done a century ago yeah Yeah. but like gatsby could be a tech billionaire like oh yeah like i love uh, yeah i'm not uh, not disagreeing i love this idea it just yeah like he does not have such lofty ambitions (laughs) Which is a shame, unfortunately. Yeah. Like that, that feels to me like the biggest missed opportunity here is if you're going to be adapting a, cl- and they do it with so many other classics. They always yeah. do it with genres, but Baz Luhrmann did it with Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, but uh, why not do that here? Why not take a 1920s F. Scott Fitzgerald number and do it up in the? You said the 1980s is very much like yeah. the 1920s with all the excess. Why not make it a period piece in the 80s? Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't maybe go in so far as to say the most missed opportunity, because I think the biggest missed opportunity wasn't to have those glasses that overlook the town also be like ads for 3D glasses, because, you know, this movie's in 3D. <laughs> okay, um, yes. That was a missed opportunity, for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, uh, I, do, I do love Baz Luhrmann, so I also I, I had some thoughts, if you'll indulge me. Uh, I would like to see Baz Luhrmann do uh, more adaptations of uh, my homework. Um <laughs> <laughs> so these are just some pitches. If you guys tell me what you think of these, uh, uh, the Basler, uh, Baz Luhrmann's The Glass Menagerie. Um, do you ever see the one with uh, um, John Malkovich, the, no. the Glass Menagerie? Actually, I, I totally missed out on The Glass Menagerie. That was not one that uh, I read in uh, junior high or high school, and I never got around to seeing the movies or reading it myself, so... It was I actually like the, the the John Malkovich movie made an impression on me, uh, and also uh, weirdly when I was like in my early twenties, I went on a date with a, a young lady who, when I went to pick her up, her younger brother ran through the house yelling "Jonquist, Jonquist," um, which is from the Glass Menagerie because the whole movie's about doesn't matter. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Glass Glass Menagerie. Uh, okay. Carrie Mulligan can play uh, the the young lady. I got a young Tom Holland can play the cat named Tom, and uh, Nicole Kidman should be the old lady. Uh, if you don't know the Glass Menagerie, none of this makes sense. But like, you know, that's fine. Also got uh, Baz Luhrmann's To Kill a Mockingbird. I think you gotta get uh, Atticus played by Hugh Jackman. Yep. Okay. I like. Uh, it. And then Adult Scout, the narrator, Nicole Kidman. You just want to put Nicole Kidman in all these movies. Well, bear with me. Hang on, because I think okay. for uh, Baz Luhrmann's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, we get Leo DiCaprio as uh, Doctor Victor Frankenstein. Okay. And uh, for the monster, uh, Nicole Kidman. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Nicole Kidman could play a great Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, 
I'm not being facetious. No, I'm being a little facetious. But yeah. <laughs> so there you go. That's that's uh, Baz Luhrmann and Nicole Kidman uh, cast in other high school homework classics. Uh, uh, I wanted to quickly circle back to, because I, I didn't want to interject, because both of you guys were on a roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just to uh, Liam's comment about, uh, you know, Nicole if you Kidman. like 3D, you don't you don't like movies like I don't necessarily want to like yuck someone's yum like if you're like like on a, on the one hand Liam like I almost entirely agree with you like yeah yeah <laughs> like you're I not, realize it's a it's you don't a, it's you a, don't get the you don't uh, appreciate or understand the majesty of filmmaking like it's big that kind film of thing nerd gatekeeper bullshit I'm yeah aware, but also yeah, and, but you know at the, at the you know at the same time it's like it like if you you know if if you have um more or less like a surface level appreciation for for movies and stuff like that and you're kind of more into the the popcorn aspect of it um that's a totally fair way to appreciate it i don't like i'm a, i'm the kind of person where like there's no limits on how you appreciate art and if you are uh, uh, a 3d type person that's okay. Um, I just, I just, you know, you know, uh, it, like sometimes I, I'm just like, well, you know, if you dig a little bit deeper, you might find something a little bit more. So, yeah. So in some ways, I'm like, I'm of two minds of it, Liam. I'm, I agree with you, but also mm-hmm. kind of don't. I think I've positioned myself on this podcast as the real speak your mind edgelord <laughs> bad boy who doesn't mind if I offend a few people. No. Uh- <laughs> For the record, I think yeah. that. Uh, we can officially state that all three members of the I Have Some Notes cast are uh, generally people who don't care for 3D movies. Because (laughs) if given the choice, Anita and I will always, always get a ticket for the non-3D showing of a film. Mm -hmm. That is a strong portion of our canon, that's for sure. Yes, though now, as soon as you said get a ticket to a movie, I was like... Where, 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 man? You got to hook up. You got to hook up on a ticket to a movie. I'll see it in 3D. I don't even give a shit. Uh, like, yeah. For all my bombast a moment ago and all of my uh, blowhard bullshit. Yeah. Once, once we actually get back into theaters, like, what kind of could... crazy shit are they going to be doing to try and justify uh, raising the ticket price to the amount that they're going to need to recover from oh, geez, uh, from COVID? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, I'd, I'd go see a 3D movie. I'd, I'd take it. <laughs> take what you got. Um, as well uh, as I think we've, I think we made a good uh, f- a fix in this movie as, as much as we can. Again, the 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 book's written, uh, and we're not a literary podcast. Um, but I, I think, I think we, we definitely some... explored some really interesting avenues of it. So, like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. And our listener comments were also quite insightful. Thank you again to everyone who uh, comments and contributes on these. We appreciate it. Nathan Martin says, I actually never saw this one. So, yeah, I fixed Tobey Maguire. Just kidding. 100% agree. (laughs) (laughs) I'd fix you. (laughs) Yeah, uh, let's find a Tobey Maguire Maguire movie to do in the near future. Just to really, really grind Scott's. Two more uh, Spider-Mans to do. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we did Spider-Man 3, but we never actually did the first two. Uh Scott comments, not our Scott, uh, different Scott, but no last name provided here in the notes. So thank you, Scott. Uh, Scott says, how many more times will I say Scott? Scott says, overall, I thought this movie was pretty awful. The original was better. The original Uh, book or the original film? You'd have to ask Scott. Unclear. Unclear. Maybe he's talking about the 1974 uh, movie. Yeah, I would presume 
that's certainly the one I keep referring to when I say that there's been a, another adaptation. Yeah. Uh, I think there's actually been an, like some older ones even than that, but yeah, this movie, it's got potential. It's very pretty, but, very pretty. and, and there's, there's definitely parts of it that I like. There's definitely like so, some strong performances, but in many ways, this movie is not as good as the sum of its parts. Yeah. Uh, what I will uh, say, though, if you are interested in uh, learning more about the particular uh, book, um, I had every intention of listening to the audiobook before we recorded this. Uh, didn't didn't make it. Sorry, sorry, team. I, I, I did try. But I will say uh, <laughs> that there is an edition of the audiobook. There's a number of free ones online, but there's one on Spotify read by Michael Shannon. Ooh. Yeah, so it was. It was <laughs> I got to about twenty minutes through that, and it was uh, Michael Shannon was definitely the best part. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you everyone uh, for listening to this edition of I Have Some Notes. You can follow us on social media at I Have Some Notes, and you can subscribe to our podcast feed at I Have Some Notes dot com. Uh, wherever it is you interact with us, uh, social media, the streams, the podcast apps, what have you, please like, subscribe, comment. All of those interactions really do help us out. Thank you. If you want to find some podcasts that are as great as Nick Carraway thinks Gatsby is, you can head over to albertapodcastnetwork.com. You'll find a lot of shows there, including Kyle and Dave versus The Machine, and my other podcast, The Read-Along, which was already name-dropped in this very episode. Uh, <laughs> once again, you can check those all out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Next week, Robin Hood. Not uh, Prince of Thieves. Not uh, Ridley Scott's. Uh, the Taron Egerton 2018. No, not Men in Tights or the one with the wolf guy. Oh my guys, <laughs> yeah. we could do we could do a whole season of just Robin Hood movies. <laughs> Probably good. That's super it, funny. It is on Netflix, so if you're wanting to watch ahead of time, it is ready to go for you. Uh, until then, signing off. Uh, I'm Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Black Lives Matter, and keep. Watching the skies. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com.